Amen and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas and gifts. Uh, getting a gift is a wonderful thing, isn't it? No, seriously. It really is. It's okay to be able to go like, getting a gift is a really cool thing. Uh, in fact, you think about it, just the thought behind gifts when they're given, the expense of someone else uh, putting into the fact of giving you a gift, the, the verbal, the nonverbal communication, all of that that's kind of behind a gift and encompassed in it, as well as just the whole presentation of a gift. Uh, wondering what it is, the unwrapping, the getting after it. Uh, I'll tell you, getting gifts is a wonderful thing. Um, in fact, uh, you probably have had some memorable gifts this Christmas. Uh, like here might be a few ways that they might be memorable. One of them is, is like, so cool. I have been wanting that gift. Thank you so much. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You had some of those? Or it may be the, wow, I was not expecting that, but that is awesome. Uh, some of those. And then there's the third. What were you thinking? <laughs> Just kind of in the, don't, don't say it, but you're going, Wow, Grandma, wow, um, whomever, um, that was unique. Well, I know that gifts are a very unique thing. I'm not the greatest thinker about gifts at times. So here's what I want to do here to get us started. I want to help you for Christmas 2011, okay? I want to help you to begin thinking about what are some potential gifts you might be able to consider giving for this next year. So what I want to do is I want to start with you grandparents, grandparents. Maybe you've had a new grandchild or you're going to be having a new grandchild here this year. Here's a gift possibility for you. If you go to personalizedpacifiers.com, you can go there and you can buy this diamond pacifier with over 278 paved cut white diamonds totaling three carats. The cost $17,000 for this pacifier. Now, there's two items that are noted in the information, in case you didn't write it down, personalizedpacifiers.com. Uh, noted on there, read the fine print, you'll find two things on there. Number one, for $17,000 on this pacifier, the, the little handle there, it actually works. Just, it, it says it. I'm like, for $17,000, you should put a bearing in there or something. But it says it works. The other thing is, get this. The other thing is, is it says, we recommend that you do not use this as a pacifier. <laughs> Actually, this is supposed to be like the most fabulous keepsake for the baby. Well, there's an idea, grandparents. Parents, now for you, uh, for, you for your teen or your Harvard-bound student, uh, the special iPhone 4, uh, designed by Stuart Hughes. It's his Diamond Rose Edition iPhone 4. It has rose gold to recreate the infamous antenna back that wraps around the sides. I have my iPhone 4 right here, too, uh, around, but I don't have that one. Uh, around the sides, as well as the back, the band is adorned with 100 flawless diamonds. The Apple logo is formed with 53 more diamonds. The home button, the little round button to get to go home, gets the most love. It has a plat it is platinum and features a seven point four carat pink diamond. Uh, the 
the phone comes with an imperial or it comes in an imperial seven kilogram pink chest cut from a single block of granite and lined with nubuck top grain. Now that's like, I have no idea what it is, <laughs> but that's what it is. It also comes with an eight carat flawless diamond that can be used in place of the 7.4 carat pink one in case Pink isn't your color, guys. So here's the thing. There are only two of these that are made, only two. So you might want to get your, consider getting your order in soon. The cost for this iPhone 4, $8 million. $8 million. Now, I figure if you're going to pay $8 million for the iPhone, you may as well go over the top and, and, and get the, the, the Dias Diamond Collection earbud covers. Uh, for $4,500, you can add a drop in the bucket uh, compared to that. So for $8,004,500, there's a possibility, parents, for your teen. Guys, for your woman, for your woman, how about this? A one-of-a-kind watch by Chapard. It's adorned with three heart-shaped diamonds, a 15-carat pink diamond, a 12-carat blue diamond, and an 11-carat white diamond. It also has 163 carats of white and yellow diamonds around it. Total of carats, 201. Now listen to me. I, I may not be a jewel guy, jewelry guy, but I'm going to tell you, to me, that looks like a Timex that fell off of someone scuba diving in the coral reef. And like grew around it, doesn't it? Uh, how much is that? Well, $25 million for that watch. And if you're concerned that that isn't quite enough for your babe, you might want to do this. Uh, French Cosmetics House Guerlain has an 18-carat gold lipstick tube with 199 conflict-free diamonds that includes a personal consultation with art director Olivier for $62,000 for that lipstick thing. Okay, guys, uh, ladies, for your man, for the guys. You know, guys, we usually have maybe fewer toys, but the big dollar toys, maybe not fewer. But anyway, here's what it is. How about the most expensive gift that's listed in the world? You can get a package of your own A380 Airbus as well as a bespoke mega yacht. Now, here's the cool thing about it. The cool thing about it is designer Patrick Knowles will custom design both of them to your own personal brand. You know, your personal brand. You don't have a personal brand? But anyway, if you did, he would design both of these so that they're matching together. Um, price tag? $500 million for this. I have to say, as personally as a private pilot, <laughs> I kind of like that one. <laughs> I'll take the top one. Someone else can have the bottom part of that gift, but I'll just take a Piper Meridian. Anyway, we won't go there. Um, those are some serious gifts. And as you look about these gifts, uh, uh, these are radical gifts. I mean, these are the most radical gifts on the planet, okay, when we think about these. So there you have it. All of these, when you look at this, all of these include a whole lot of preparation. I mean, just a whole lot of preparation to them. You don't just go out to Walmart, grab one of these things and give it. They also take a lot of presentation. I mean, if you're going to spend the kind of money to do this, you may as well, uh, you may as well just have like an incredible presentation 
process. I also say all of these have an incredible amount of power behind them. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think there's anybody in here that would buy any of those. And as we kind of sometimes define power, part of the reason is because we don't have the kind of financial power to be able to do that. And I don't want to kind of downtrod these. I will also say these would be very personal. I mean, you know, that watch, that's got, someone's got to like that style. Um, That ain't my wife. Um, But there's a personal thing to it. Now, uh, take a last look at these pictures. And then I'd like for us to just consider this gift. This is one of the most amazing gifts ever. This gift here is incredibly personal. Now, I don't mean personal like let's go hide in a closet or in the basement and not talk about this gift. That's not, I'm not saying it's just personal to me. No, I'm just saying this is like an incredibly personal gift that's given, that's been made available. Jesus Christ born, God in the flesh born, the second person of the Trinity. God dwelling among men, hearing, talking, listening, loving God in the flesh, walking down the Via Della Rosa to the cross. <laughs> the creator, nailed to the cross by his own creation. And yet also, Jesus Christ conquering death. What a priceless gift. What a priceless gift. Today, the day after Christmas, I want for us just to do this. I want for us just to simply, we're going to take about 15, 20 minutes and just look at three passages, just real quick, just for the purpose of being able to kind of pull out of them this. Folks, I I may not know what you think or what you know about Jesus Christ, but one of the things about Jesus Christ is that there is an incredible radical, personal behind it. Let's let's do that. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some folks coming around with some you can borrow. We're just big about the Bible around here because frankly, you don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what the Bible has to say. Uh, That's our authority source. And so we're going to go to it and we're going to start in Mark chapter 6 in the New Testament. Mark chapter 6. Now, so far, let me set a context here in this passage, Mark chapter 6. So far, there's been a lot of ministry that's been taking place. Christ and the disciples, have, uh, Christ has selected the disciples. They, they, he's been teaching. He's been doing some miracles. There's even been some rough stuff like booted out of his own hometown, mocked. Uh, sought to be stoned to death by people from in his own hometown, including in that rough stuff that's taking place is John the forerunner is was beheaded. Um, Jesus is, uh, with all this taking place uh, right before this, he tells the 12 apostles, he says, you know what, guys, it's been, uh, it's been quite a period of time here for a little bit. Well, let's take some time and let's get away. Let's get away and let's rest. Okay, you've got to understand that's what's happening here. Let's get away and let's rest. So they get in the boat and they start heading out. And as they start heading out uh, <laughs> on the Sea of Galilee here, 
uh, having been there and being able to see, uh, you can be out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and still see all the shores. So this is for our and Midwest. This is kind of like a good-sized lake. And so as they're coming across, they look, and there's literally thousands of people trekking along the bank around the Sea of Galilee to connect up to where they're going to be landing. Well, by the way, what was the purpose of them getting away? To have some time of rest, just to get away from all the stress of all the people and the ministry and everything that's taking place. So while they're doing this, this is happening until they land on the other side. Oh, the passage we're reading out is about feeding of the 5,000. Now, actually, it's about feeding of the 20, probably some thousand, because 5,000 is just listing the men who are there. So there's probably some 20,000. So we've got the picture here. They're on a boat. They come over. They dock on this other side. And there's like 20,000 people there. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if it were me in that boat, I'm like, let's see, Memo, we were trying to get away, and you showed up at my doorstep like 20,000 of you? Listen, this is for me personally, this is a perfect time for a bad attitude right here. We're starting the vacation off on the wrong foot. So here they are. Let's take a look at what Christ does. Verse 34, they've, they've come ashore. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Got the picture? That's what we're talking about. He saw a great car. How is he going to respond? Look at this. And he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and began to teach them many things. I want to talk about this. He had compassion. This is about personal compassion. Personal compassion. The word that's used here is not just like a fleeting momentary, I feel sorry for them. Or what a bunch of lugheads. They just annoy me. Kind of a somewhat messed up compassion. That's not what's talked about here. The word that's being used here. Actually, I like the way the New American Standard has it. It says, he felt compassion. This is an emotion. This is a feeling that is there. And out of that, what is going on? Well, the word is actually talking about, there's different words that relate to these kinds of emotions. In the Greek, this word that is used here is about a deep inner, they would talk about it in the day, from the bowels kind of an emotion. All these 20,000 people show up right at the wrong time, if you will. And these 20,000 people are there. I'm trying to get away from you. And what does Christ do? He looks on them and he has this, this, this care for them, this deep compassion, not because they're lunkheads, not because they're in his way, not because they're annoying. He has this compassion within them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. I really didn't know a whole lot about sheep until... Uh, us as a suburb kind of a family growing up until we decided to have our oldest son do a 4-H project because we were living out in the country, although we were suburban people living in the country and we had two sheep and man, those things are dumb. You know, I always saw in the cartoons and things where sheep, they're just so fluffy and warm and you just want to go over and just hug them and they, they don't want anything to do with you. We were really hurt because we bought these two sheep and we we're raising them and they didn't want to have anything to do. They would just run into the corner. And at times we would sit there and just go, I just feel so sorry for you. I'm serious. We just want to, we just want to like play. And now 
this is the kind of thing where that, that's so lighthearted compared to what's going on here with Christ. Christ looks at the crowd and to his very core, he just is thinking, what do they need? What can I do for them? I just hurt for them. Not because they're stupid. Because they just are like sheep without a shepherd. They're just lost. This same word is, is, is used a number of times in the New Testament. Three, I just want to know. Matthew 9, 36, it talks about Jesus sees the crowds. And he notes in there that they're harassed, they're helpless. Again, like a sheep without a shepherd. And he has this exact same all the way down to the inner core of the being. He's just, oh, I just ache for these folks. Bless their hearts, I ache for them. In Luke 7, 13, he sees a funeral. And in this funeral, there's this young man that had died. And there's this, the mother is coming behind. And this young man that had died is her only son. And Christ in the text, it talks about how he looks at the situation. He sees the situation. And again, he has this word. He's just like, oh, oh just hurt for them. I ache for them. And he, in fact, he says to the mother, he says, don't weep. Now there's a part of that where you go, come on, what kind of help is that? Like, let's be real about it. Like everything's going to be fine right at the moment. No, it's not. But he says, don't weep. But here's the thing about it. In it, he says, he just has this compassion. He says, don't weep. And then he raises her son from the dead personal compassion and then luke ten thirty three, the story of the prodigal son it's about the son who who goes to the father and this is a story this didn't actually happen but an illustration that jesus is teaching and this son goes to the father and and he says hey dad i just want to i just want to cash out on my inheritance so he takes the inheritance and he heads to las vegas or he heads to wherever and he just blows it all and he's just partying up having the best time of his life until it all goes to hell and there's nothing left And he ends up working on a farm with the pigs. And life gets so ugly, so bad, that he figures it's better to go crawling on my knees back to my dad, if you will. And maybe he'll give me a job as a servant on the family farm. So he comes back and Jesus is telling this illustration and tells about the father. When he sees the son coming back, he runs to the son and this word is used. It's not like, you fool, how many times have I told you? That wasn't that. The father is just thrilled to see his son come back. And he has compassion for his son. Hey, hey, friends, I just want for you to know, Jesus Christ, certainly we see in the gospels at times where he lays it on the line and he confronts stuff and he just lays it out. But I want to let you know as well, there is compassion. Compassion. Let's just go to another one. John chapter 11, a little bit to the right in your Bible. John chapter 11. The context in this is uh, uh, there's three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They're all adults. And Lazarus is ill. 
And so as a result of his illness, very serious illness, Mary and Martha send someone to connect up with Christ. And so they connect up with him and tell him what's going on. And, and Jesus knew the family and, and knew them. So it wasn't like just some random stranger. They were friends. So Jesus gets the message and doesn't do anything. Doesn't go. In fact, get this. He doesn't go back to the place until four days after Lazarus is put in the tomb. What kind of care is that? What kind of compassion is that? Uh, But what ends up happening is Jesus eventually does come back four days after he's put in the tomb. He arrives kind of on the outskirts of the city. Martha, the sister of Lazarus, meets him out on the edge. and, and, And the text tells us, it says, Jesus, if you had been here. I just have to note in that you you gather within the the, the statement of what Martha is saying. It's like, dude, don't you care? Like, thanks for coming now. And then he moves on in. And at that point, he tells Martha, Martha, he'll rise from the dead. And she's like, yeah, I know. He'll rise from the dead at the resurrection. And and in it, Martha's thinking a different rise than Jesus is thinking a different rise. And so in this, he arrives on the scene. Then Mary, the other sister, falls on her knees before him. And she says, if you had been here, here's these two sisters hurting. Their brother just died. A friend of Christ, he shows up. He could do something different and help the situation. And it's like, dude, don't you care? That's what's going on in the scene. Let's pick up verse 33, John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. This is a weeping scene, okay? He, Christ, was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Was he mad? What was going on here? Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? Where have you put Jesus or Lazarus? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. What's verse 15 say? What's verse 15 say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just playing with you what's verse 35 say <laughs> i was wondering like, guys you can talk verse 35 what's it one more time <laughs> jesus wept shortest verse in the bible why was he weeping well because his buddy died no that's not why he was weeping you see he already said in essence he was going to bring him alive anyway Jesus wasn't crying because it was the fact that his buddy died. Jesus was crying because of the tears. These personal tears were, were streaming down his face. Why? Because of the scene that was going on, not in the tomb, but outside the tomb. He's looking and he's seeing these two sisters that whom he loved. He's looking and seeing these people whom he created and cared about. And it's to the point where it just breaks his heart. This word here for wept, it's not a wailing word. There's a Greek word that's used for that, actually describing the people outside of the tomb. That word is also used for Christ as he's entering towards Jerusalem and he sees the city and there's more of a kind of an outward, like a wailing, if you will, type of a thing. The word that's used here is about this quiet, deep, grieved, internal groan crying. I mean, it's the kind of thing where you just sit there and it's just like, to the core and literally the tears start coming down. Uh, 
Jesus Christ shed tears out of care and compassion and love for the hurting and the confused. I'm just amazed by that. How personal is that? We so often this time of the year, we think of the baby laying in the manger and we kind of get there and we kind of oftentimes then jump to the cross. But uh, what I'm trying to do here is help us just see, listen, this baby, this whole person that has come at this time of the year, this is someone who has deep compassion for people, for his creation. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus Christ cares intimately and deeply for you? One last passage, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Here we find in this text, uh, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, guy who's followed him for three years. That's got to hurt. Betrayed by Judas, he's been taken to trial. He's sentenced to a criminal's death. He's set up. It's just a, a whole joke of a trial. He's been now beaten to a pulp, literally, within uh, technically what was one lash of beaten to death. He's carried the cross down the Via Della Rosa like a lamb walking to the slaughter. And then he's nailed to a piece of wood. I mean, just one hand out, bam, right through the wrist, just ka-chunk like a landscape timber. Nailed through his wrist, nailed through the other one, nailed through his feet. Placed like a piece of meat between two criminals. All done for the strategic purpose of a slow suffocation to death. The creator being slaughtered by his creation. We pick up in verse 28. He's on the cross after this. Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture. Uh, you remember if some weeks ago we went through the whole kind of the process of the radical preparation for Christ, the Old Testament. But do you remember how many messianic prophecies there were in the Old Testament? How many were there? 324. We went through the whole odds, the whole mathematical statistical odds for all of that. This is just one more point where I said, when you read the scriptures and the gospels and you see Christ was so about making sure that they're all fulfilled. And he says, I thirst. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word gave up, bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's a very interesting word. It's talking about handing over. We could in essence say Christ was not murdered. Christ willingly gave his life. He handed it over as an exchange is what really was taking place. When he said, it's finished, we've accomplished the task, it's finished. And in essence, he could have just popped the nails off the thing and just gone after it. But at that point in time, he gave over, he handed over. He he was the slaughtered lamb now giving himself over in place of you and I. He did for me what I could not do for myself. 
bowed his head and gave up his spirit, personally sacrificed. Personally sacrificed. Sacrifice for you, sacrifice for I. Sacrificed in your place, sacrificed in my place. Making redemption available, making forgiveness available. I love this, making relationship available. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible in Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The fact is, is that all have sinned. All are separated by God because of our sin. The result of that, the, 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 what I get paid for out of that fact is the fact that I'm separated from God. But here's the cool thing. God, out of compassion for his own creation, wasn't required to, but out of love, put himself in our place. Why? So that I could have a relationship with him. A, a relationship with him. This isn't about some contractual deal. Like sign here on the dotted line and I have great payment back, payback later on in life. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a relationship. Relationship. This isn't about some uh, 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 systematic process. This isn't about some certain uh, structure of religious crazy, funky things that someone's made up for us to be able to do. This is all about a relationship. God doesn't need us. But God has provided and made available a gift so that we can be able to have living, ongoing relationship with him. That rocks. There is no gift so personal as the personal gift of Jesus Christ. There is no gift so personal. And again, I don't mean personal like it's all, you know, quiet. I don't want to tell you I'm embarrassed. That's not what we're talking about. There's no gift that's been done so personal. You know, parents, have you had your kids? Or I remember when I was a little boy, I, I made this wood thing. It was some battleship, something. My grandpa even told me the name of it. That was kind of a dorky name. But I was like, I was a little kid and I made this for grandpa. Years later, years later, it was like 10 years later before my grandpa died, he brought that up and he brought it up from the basement of his house. Why? Because his little dorky grandson made that for him. That was a little dorky wood pile of stuff. This is personal. There is no gift so personal as the personal gift of Jesus Christ. Compassion, tears, sacrificed. For God, the greatest one, so loved the greatest compassion. The world, the greatest number that whosoever, the greatest, the world, that he gave, the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believes in him, the greatest surrendering, should not perish, the greatest promise, but have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. 
I think having an Airbus A380 would be pretty cool. We could all have church in it. We could go somewhere really cool in it. I don't know if we'd be able to pay to fuel it, but that would be pretty cool. But I just want for us to remember, there is no gift so personal, so wonderful as the personal gift of Jesus Christ. Do you possess the gift? You see, a gift is something that's made available. It's not forced on you. You see, when Christ died on the cross, the, 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 the redeeming act that was done, it wasn't the kind of thing where it was like automatically where the God had just forced it and shoved it on everybody and applied it to everybody. It was a gift. It's made available. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It goes on to say, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you have the possession? Have you received the gift? Has there been a time in your life where you've said, you know what? That's what I want to be about, like the prodigal son, back to the father. And compassion and tears, and the sacrifice is all there. Because God wants to have a relationship with us. It's free, but I will say it's costly. Because it's not just costly for Christ, but it's costly for those who take the gift, because those who have the gift, it's, this is about, listen, this is about rocking it out that way rather than that way. I'm done with my life. This is all about Christ. For the Christ follower, two things. I I just want to ask you, do you see a walk with Christ as a very personal relationship? Or has it become systematized? Has it become categorized? Has it just become so functional? Has it been like a contract where we've got it written and later on I got some cool results from it as I mentioned earlier? Or is it about a personal relationship? That's what we're talking about here. It's about a personal relationship. Is that how you're living in your life? Secondly, I just want to ask Christ followers this. Um, If we're supposed to be like Christ... Am I, are you, are, are we personally having compassion for the hungry and the hurting and the lost? Genuinely. This is an area we as a church are going to work on getting better at. Do we have genuine compassion on those who are hurting? Like sheep without a shepherd. And is it even to the point, if we're to be like Christ, is it the kind of thing where literally, where at times, I'm just like when I look and I see the opportunity that's there around me, when I see the world around me and the things that are taking place, uh, literally, are are there tears that are shed because it just breaks my heart and I want to get involved? Not because everybody's like such a loser, but because there's such an answer. Do I really care? 
Do you really care? Christmas can become so much about me. I just want to ask you, for 2011, is it going to be all about you? Or is it going to be all about Christ? And that includes the last thing we've seen here. That's sacrificial. I want it to be all about me. I don't know about you. I struggle with this all the time. It takes sacrifice. But I'm telling you, there's nothing better. Nothing better. No stinking Airbus, no ugly coral reef watch. No iPhone that's like ridiculously put with clear rocks around it. No pacifier that I can't even pacify on. But I'm telling you, friends, this is a gift that changes life, marriages, relationships, purposes, everything. Hey, we're going to take communion now. I think this is just a perfect time to do it, day after Christmas, especially as we talk about the personal radicalness of Christ. Uh, Why do we take communion? In fact, if the servers could come on down and get ready. Uh, Well, here's why. Uh, Because it reminds us of something. There's no saving act. There's no additional grace that comes out of this. This is an opportunity for you and I just to be able to reflect upon the personal reality of what Christ has done for us. The fact that me as a sinner separated from him, that he came, he died, he rose again, and he made redemption available to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's what this is about. So if there's been a time in your life where you've come to know Jesus Christ as your savior and you've repented, you've surrendered your life, you've come to know him as your savior in a relationship with him, if that's the case, we'd love for you to participate in this. If that's something where you're kind of in the, still trying to figure all this out, that's okay. Just, you know, you don't, you don't have to partake in it. And I just encourage you to use the time and just consider what's going on here. Where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? We're just going to hear some music here in a minute and just uh, kind of use this time. And here and just, whenever you're ready, just get up, go over to one of the stations here, grab the cup, grab the bread, come bring it back to your seat. And, uh, and then Pastor Eric's going to come and we'll all partake together of that and the personalness of our Lord. Really cool. God is good. Merry Christmas.